for the rest of us. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to uh, Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. But Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? They will not be left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will all these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, See that... No one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be even fathom, fa- famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But you be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that, in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, and children against parents, and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for how it speaks to our heart, the way that it that it touches us no matter where or, or, or how or, or in what situation we are living. Your word that was spoken by your son so many years ago, uh, that was then recorded and has been uh, uh, passed down through the church through all of these different ages. Each one has had an opportunity of, of hearing your spirit speak to them through these words. Lord, I pray that as we come before these words today, that you would speak to us in the place where we are at, in the circumstances where we walk. 
that we would be touched by your spirit, that we would be touched by your truth, that we would be encouraged by your exhortation, and that we would walk in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This passage is wrapping up this section that we have been talking about of Jesus engaging with religious leaders and and, and the people there in the temple. Uh, You remember way back in chapter 11, uh, when we uh, when when Marcus was uh, uh, preaching on the the triumphal entry, and there in in chapter eleven in verse eleven, uh, Mark records for us, and Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. That was the first movement of Jesus interacting with with uh, uh, the the priests and the people there in the temple in Mark's gospel, and then we. We went through that whole process and we followed along with Mark's exposition of these events of, of Jesus here in this, this Passion Week before his, his arrest and his crucifixion. Uh, we saw Jesus coming and, and remember the account of him in, uh, uh, coming up to the fig tree that was, that, that was bearing no fruit and he cursed it. And we talked about how that represented Jesus' curse on the fruitless temple. How it, it had all of the, the outward expressions, the outward appearances of, of being a place where you could meet with God, but there was no fruit there. And even though it was out of season, that it wasn't its, its time in history when it was fulfilling its role, that that time was coming to an end because Jesus now was dwelling among us. We no longer need the temple to be the place where we go and meet with God, but we can meet with God wherever. And, and as the, the, uh, the, the, the apostles and the, the, the authors of the New Testament continue to express to us that we now, because Christ lives in us, we are that temple, that place where God dwells in this world. So the temple wasn't in season, but still he went hoping to find fruit and there was none those that were in charge were just uh, filling their own pockets and people who who came to meet with god would just instead find this place of uh, of abuse of oppression of of distraction of of all of these terrible things that were getting in the way of people being able to encounter god And then uh, we've been talking about these different confrontations that Jesus had with the religious elite in that time, uh, the, the in- encounters with the Pharisees, the encounters with the chief priests, with the Sadducees, with the scribes, and how in each case they turned out to, to instead of be open to the message of Jesus, the hope that he had as God dwelling among us, They rejected him and turned their back on him. And so we come to this closing of this temple and we see Jesus leaving the temple. Look at the words that that Mark records there for us in chapter 1. And as Jesus came out of the temple, 
He was walking out of this place after having looked, after having uh, dealt with the corruption that was there, and now was sitting on the Mount of Olives across the valley, looking down at the temple. And even in that, even in all of that, that foreshadowing of, of encounters that Jesus had with the temple and, and the things that he was teaching his disciples in all of that, still the disciples weren't getting it. And, and I guess you can understand that, that, that even though Jesus was, had been speaking against the temple, had been speaking about the corrupt religious system that was there in Jerusalem, there still is that sentimentality. And, and from everything that we read about this temple, it was spectacular. It was a, uh, an amazing thing of beauty that, that uh, the, the historians of the day, Josephus and others, wrote about and talked about this beautiful structure that Herod had been able to, to create. And one of the disciples in that sentimentality, in that being overwhelmed by the beauty of all of this, says to Jesus, look at these stones. Look at these beautiful buildings. And that opens way for Jesus to declare the final prophecy against this corrupt system and a corrupt building that even though the he had spoken about the corruption within he was now speaking about even the the beauty of the buildings was going to be destroyed was going to be undone once and for all and he talks about how not even one stone will be left on another and we've talked about how this prophecy was actually fulfilled in 70 AD as Titus came into Jerusalem was able to over overthrow the the rebellion that had uh, that had uh, raised up itself in Jerusalem uh, against Rome and as they as they lit fire to the city and to the temple itself uh, the the fire in the temple burned so hot that all of the gold that was uh, lining the walls that was in the 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 utensils there in the in the temple all of the gold melted and and ran down into the cracks in the stones and so the roman soldiers part of their pay was to be able to to take some of the booty of the destruction of the of the of the places that they had conquered and so they were the ones that then tore those stones apart so they could get at all of the gold that was there in each one of the stones and by thus fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that not one stone will be left on another. Jesus was saying that the, this temple no longer would have any role in this world. Its day had been done. He has left the temple. And now we would meet with God in person, face to face, in Jesus Christ. Now, you can understand, probably with the disciples, uh, maybe some of them hearing these words of, of, of prophecy, a very clear prophecy that the temple was going to be destroyed. Perhaps some of them remembered some of the prophecies from Jeremiah and from Micah, where the Old Testament prophets had spoken about one day the temple being destroyed as God's judgment on the corruption of his people there in Jerusalem. And so perhaps they then made that connection in their minds that, that, that this 
destruction of the temple that Jesus was prophesying, maybe that was going to be the place that God, that Jesus was going to establish his millennial kingdom, his reign here on the earth that, that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And so uh, these few, um, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the first disciples in Mark that were called uh, to join Jesus in his ministry, they join with him there up on the Mount of Olives and they ask us, so tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? In, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, the words that are put on the, the disciples' tongues are even more specific and, and saying, what are the signs that will be told of the end of the age? And so then we go into this teaching of Jesus that talks about the end times, uh, about what will be happening. Now, I, I have to admit there is some debate in, in, uh, in, religious, in, in uh, religious scholarship and, and, and looking at these passages and trying to determine, is Jesus speaking uh, directly about the destruction of the temple? These things that he says about how people will come and, and will uh, declare that they are here and, and try and mislead others, that, that there would be ru- wars and rumors of wars, that there would be earthquakes and famines, that there would be uh, uh, the, uh, the betrayal by, by family and, and close friends. And, and uh, uh, there are some that look at those things that Jesus predicts and, and look at the time between his prediction and the destruction of the temple and and they re- and they would say that that all of those things were being fulfilled in that early church setting that there were these rumors of war there were significant earthquakes that were happening in in the the Roman world um and and i i i don't think that that it would be necessarily wrong to to see that uh, but i think that that Jesus words were speaking more broadly about the end of of the days of the end of uh of of humanity the end of this earth and and the what's called in the old testament the day of the lord the time when god's judgment comes on the earth and and judges all of humanity for uh their rebellion and their sin against him um two reason i i i think that i think First of all, um, some of the things that, that Jesus is speaking about aren't fully fleshed out in that, in that uh, early church age uh, and are things that we are, are yet to see. I think also along with that, Jesus' words to us that are recorded in Mark aren't just words that were for a, a past generation that we can look back on and say, oh, wasn't that helpful for them in that time, but it really has no impact on my life today. I think that these words that Jesus said likely were very helpful for those that were there around 70 AD and and were seeing the destruction of the temple and and they were able to make decisions and respond accordingly. Um, But I also think these words are very helpful for us today. That, That in our lives that the things that Jesus are say, is saying applies just as much to us as it did to those way back then. 
as we go through these uh, these verses from uh, verse three down to uh, to verse 13. Uh, there are some specific things that Jesus tells us either not to do or to do. I think it's helpful for us to look at each one of those and and understand what Jesus is telling for us today. <clears throat> Starts off in verse 5. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. What was he speaking about? He then goes on to talk about how there will be many who say, come and, and see the, the, the Messiah is here, or some that will, will pretend that they are Jesus has returned, and they will say, I am he, come and worship me, come follow me. That there will be many that try and lead people astray regarding the last days of when the coming of the last days will be. Jesus is encouraging us Don't be led astray. Don't fall prone to anybody who is trying to say that that Jesus has returned or that they themselves are the returned Messiah or any of those kinds of things. Because that is going to lead you in the wrong direction. I think even, even today there are those that would try and make claims about uh, how we can anticipate Christ is going to return and what is the time period that he is going to, to be able to come back and, and, and all of the things that are going to be fulfilled. And there are, are those that are making predictions about in this time period we can anticipate to see Jesus return. I think the one thing that you can be sure about in anybody that makes those kinds of claims is that you can't trust them. <laughs> you can't... You are not to be listening to them. If anybody is making those kinds of predictions, they're off base. Because Christ says that no one knows the last days. Uh, Not even the Son, we're going to get to that next week, not even the Son knows the day that the Father has set for that terrible day of the Lord, that terrible, wonderful day of the Lord of judgment. So see to it that no one leads you astray. But then he also says, don't be alarmed. Verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. Terrible things are yet to come. We live in a fallen, broken world that is wicked to its core, that is determined to destroy and to to distract from the truth of God. And there are going to be terrible things that are going to happen that humanity is going to do to one another. We see evidence of that all around us, all around this world. Not only that, we see nature itself groaning against the sinfulness and the wickedness of humanity. And we see terrible disasters that are taking place, whether it would be earthquakes or tsunamis or, or, or tropical storms or, or, or famines or, or, or whatever kinds of terrible tragedies that happen out in this world. Don't be alarmed. That's what Jesus calls us to. We don't need to be surprised. These things not only are going to happen, look at what he says. These things must 
take place. Kind of reminds me of uh, the, the prophecy of, uh, that God had said for the land of Canaan when the, uh, the people of Israel went to Egypt. And there was this 400 years that they were in Egypt. And, and, and God said, I'm trying to think, did God say that to Abraham? The fullness of the sin of the Canaanites has not yet come to be. That, that they had not plunged yet to the sinful depths that God had limited them to accomplish before he would send his people in to cleanse that land and establish it as his promised place for his people. And it's the same thing today. These wars that we hear about, the, the terrible tragedies, don't be alarmed. They must take place in order for God's purposes to be accomplished for the the fullness of the sin of humanity to be able to run its course before god finally says enough so don't be alarmed but you be on your guard verse 9 mark writes but Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. The the Greek that is is used there probably would more accurately, if we were doing a more literal translation, it's, it's more, watch you yourselves. Watch yourselves. Um, What is he telling us to watch ourselves against? talking about these how you will be delivered over to councils you will be beaten in synagogues you will stand before governors and kings for my sake why to bear witness before them see we are not supposed to be watching ourselves to try and avoid or or prevent ourselves from being arrested or being beaten or or being taken advantage of by the world around us that's not what he's calling us to watch for What he's calling us to watch for is for the opportunity where we can be a witness in those times and in those places. So often I find myself getting caught up in, well, to be honest, it's a fear. Fear of of how I need to guard myself from being uh, misunderstood or, or, or being uh, aligned with the things of Christ, that somehow I need to avoid those kinds of opportunities where I might say something or I might do something that'll ca- get me into hot water with the people that are around me, where they will then look down on me and perhaps reject me because of my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I get this backwards. I, I, in, instead of watching for the opportunity to be a witness, I watch for my opportunity to keep my mouth shut so that I don't offend, so I don't cause confusion. It's not what Jesus is calling us to. When he says, but you, watch you yourselves, watch for those opportunities when you can be a witness and a testimony to Jesus Christ. 
He goes on to say, don't be anxious beforehand what you will say, but say what is given to you. Verse 11. When they do bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I... This is another area where I find myself missing Jesus' instructions and, and going down a, a, a path that, uh, that more aligns with my personality. I, I often find myself trying to think, what would I say in those cir- circumstances? Probably even, I don't know, more often. I also get in a place of looking back and saying, oh, I wish I would have said back then in that moment when I had that opportunity. And, and, and I get myself thinking, well, what would be the proper way of, of engaging in that kind of a discussion with somebody about the things of Christ? What would be the words that I could say that would be an argument that would convince them that Jesus is their only hope of, of salvation? Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't spend brain cells trying to figure out what you will say beforehand. Instead, Say what is given to you. See, when you trust what the Holy Spirit is going to have to say to somebody, he knows far better what's going on in their heart. He knows exactly the place and the circumstances that they are going through that they need to hear in order to encounter his truth and his presence in their lives. So instead... What I should be doing is practicing listening to the Holy Spirit. Practicing being obedient, even in those, in those little moments, in those small interactions that come my way, of having the courage to speak out in, in boldness the, the things that the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart into the people's lives that I encounter. And as I am faithful all along those that path of listening and, and, and then speaking with boldness and being obedient to what Christ calls me to, in those big moments, those scary moments, I will have developed a pattern in my life of being able to hear and recognize the Spirit's voice and having the courage of conviction to then speak out whatever it is that He puts on my lips, whatever He has given me to say. Don't be anxious, but say what is given to you. Finally, Jesus' words is encouragement to us as we face the approaching last days. Endure. Endure. Walk faithfully every day in the completed work of God, trusting in Him every moment of every day. Verse 13, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter the circumstances that we find ourselves. It doesn't matter the pressures or the persecutions or the sorrows or the sufferings that we might encounter. 
We don't have to focus our attention on that. Uh, That's so often my problem is I focus on my circumstances rather than focus on my Savior. Focus on the one who can lead me through. The one who will save me. Who will guide my steps, who will guard my heart. All of those wonderful hymns that we were singing at the beginning uh, of, of this service. Talking about how God is our help. How here in our, in our Father's world we can experience that close intimacy with Him. Even in dark times. Even in persecutions and sorrows. If we endure faithfully and focus our attention on our Savior rather than our circumstances, we will be saved. What a marvelous God. A God that we can trust no matter what we encounter. A God whose strength, whose love, whose power, whose wisdom knows all circumstances that we are in, and in His generosity, He will lead us and guide us exactly where we need to be. We serve a wonderful, faithful God. And as we focus our attention on Him, rather than what's going on around us, you can be sure that He will save you. That that will be your answer to all circumstances and all times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that, uh, that our enduring isn't dependent on, on what we are able to accomplish, on, on what great wisdom we might be able to come up with. But instead, it's all about who you are and what you are doing in us. You are a faithful God. You are our our rock and our solid place. You are our protection. You are our guide. Lord, I pray for each and every one here today uh, that they would, uh, maybe even for the first time, that they would discover what it means to put their trust in your faithfulness. To know that you are a God who is able to, to carry them through no matter what sorrows, no matter what heartaches they might experience. You are the faithful God and you will do it. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.